Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. Good morning. Uh, this is Colleen Quinn of Lock and Quinn. And welcome to today's version of Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk radio show. The radio show brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia, especially in the greater Richmond area. So every Wednesday, join us at 9 a.m., and we're going to talk about true life stories, cases, legal tips, get information from experts, clients, social workers, life care planners, economists, and many more. The law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both humorous and entertaining stories along with some helpful tips, including tips on access to legal services, something that not everyone can afford. If you have a particular legal topic that you would like to uh, have featured on the Law Talk radio show, please contact me, Attorney Colleen Quinn, at Lock and Quinn. Just Google Lock and Quinn or Google Attorney Colleen Quinn, Richmond Attorney, and you'll pop up our, our website right away and just hit the Contact Us button. Or you can email me directly at Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N, at lock, L-O-C-K-E, Quinn.com. Again, that's Quinn at lockquinn.com, and you got to put an E on the lock. By the way, our office is located at Willow Lawn. We're conveniently located right next to the Chipotle. Oh, and we've got the Chick-fil-A now, too, and then, of course, lots of places across the street. So you can come dine and gorge on your beefy burrito and come get your legal (laughs) services at the same time. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to feature common misconceptions in employment law and um, just how secure are you in your job and what is a hostile environment because that's a really often misunderstood term. Um, So we're going to talk about that and much more. There's so much to talk about in the employment law area. Joining me today is my paralegal, Katie Obermiller, and Katie's been with me for uh, well over 10 years, and mm-hmm. she uh, she also she handles the personal injury and employment side of our office, and uh, Katie also went to the College of William Mary undergrad, as I did, so uh, go tribe, although I don't know if we're, uh. I don't know if we're allowed to say tribe still, I think we are. Um, so Katie, good morning. Good morning. So let's start talking about, uh, employment law in Virginia. Um, so basically as, as an employee in Virginia, what are my rights? Well, unfortunately you don't have many rights. (laughs) Oh, so (laughs) let me ask you this. Do you have a contract with your employer that says you can only be terminated for cause? Nope. I don't think you do. That's right. (laughs) And are you a union employee? No. Wow, I hate to tell you this, but you are an employee at will. What that means is that you are at the will of the employer, but of course you're at the will of your own self too. So pretty much the law, basic law in Virginia is if you don't have a contract and you're not part of a union, that generally you're an employee at will and you can leave at your own will at any time and the employer can terminate you at will with or without any reason. And this is pretty much un- misunderstood by wow. a lot of folks, yeah, um, because they think there has to be a reason given by the employer, right. you know. Well, don't I have a right to work? Well, that's another really <laughs> misunderstood concept. The right to work applies more towards uh, basically unions being able to form and unions having the, the, the right to solicit and to develop a union and, and join uh, folks together. Um, and so... Really, the right to work concept is just grossly misunderstood because um, you have a right to work, <laughs> but your right to work hinges solely on whether you're qualified for the job and the employer decides to hire you. Oh. Yeah. So, wow. So, um, what? So, are there times when an employee can be wrongfully terminated? Sure. So, you basically um, are an employee at will. But the employer can't terminate you for an illegal reason. So there are a number of different illegal reasons. For example, if if the employer is discriminating against that employee 
by terminating them. So discrimination in what in what way? Want me to give some examples? Yeah, that would okay. be great. All right, let's say that a new employer takes over a business and they decide that they're going to fire all the older people, everybody over over 40. That's going to violate the Age Discrimination Employment Act unless they have some really good legitimate reason for why they're terminating all the older people, which there's there's a lot of controversy, but potentially all the older people could be making a lot more money and the employer could have a legitimate business reason that they are trying to bring down costs. Oh. Yeah. So um, the employer can come back and say, well, all of those folks were making too much money. It had nothing to do with their age. It had everything to do with the companies going under unless we, you know, basically bring down uh, the, the overall cost to the company. Or you can have um, a new employer come in and decide that they just don't like all the guys. So they fire all the guys and keep all the women. So that would be reverse discrimination. Okay. Yeah. So that would be examples of discrimination. And then um, also an employer can retaliate and terminate somebody. So if an employee has made a claim under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act claiming that they're being discriminated against for race, sex, national origin, um, and some of the other factors that are under Title VII, then basically that employee might have a claim for retaliation. Okay. Yep. And then there's also a whistleblower. So if somebody is uh, basically reported something to the government and then the employer was mad, like say they reported some uh, failure to report taxes to the IRS or they reported some safety violations to uh, OSHA, and then the employer found out about it and terminated them, then that would be wrongful because they were terminating a whistleblower and you have a protected right to basically make sure that your employer is following the right. law. Yep. Um, and then a final, another way of uh, wrongful termination might be constructive discharge. So let's say that somebody complained about sexual harassment. Um, by the way, you, you know why it's harassment, don't you? No, I don't. Well, <laughs> I think you, I say harassment. <laughs> yeah, I know. So my uh, my old English uh, teacher from high school, Llewellyn Connolly, she she would fuss at you for that. So uh, Llewellyn Connolly was a very Southern matronly oh. English teacher, and she always says, "Now, class, class, you know it's Harris. It's not harass. For one never talks about harass." <laughs> so there you go. That's your memory. Tip. All right, that'll yeah. help. So there you go. So um, yeah, so we. Um, if we have a situation where somebody is complaining about sexual harassment and uh, they've complained to their employer and they've said that their coworker is harassing them, uh, constantly asking them to go out and date and constantly making sexual overtures, et cetera, and then the employer turns around and terminates. Uh, well, let's no, that's, that would be a wrongful termination because they retaliated for them complaining. But let's say the employer doesn't terminate but makes that employee's life just completely miserable on the job. The employee that complained. Right, the employee okay. that complained. Thanks for clarifying. And um, so let's just say that they they stop talking to that employee. They have all, they kind of ostracize that employee um, and just really kind of make them feel uncomfortable on the job. Well, if it gets really bad and the employee just can't handle it anymore and quits, then that's called constructive discharge. So basically okay. they've kind of, they've, They've outed that person and kind of routed them out of the company by treating them so poorly. Okay. So it would be a case of constructive discharge. So there's there's a number of different ways in which um, somebody could be wrongfully terminated. So um, the key thing, though, is a lot of people don't understand that these laws only apply to employers that have a certain number of employees. Oh. Yeah. So if you're looking, for example, at the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, which applies to employees that are 40 and over that fall into that protected class, the employer has to have at least 20 employees in order to fall into um, that category. So if they don't have at least 20 employees, um, then that statute's not going to protect them. Um, and then we also have uh, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, and the employer has to have at least 15 employees in order for that to apply. So Title VII would protect folks um, from discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Um, and uh, if, if 
the employer doesn't have 15 employees, then we have kind of like a parallel act in Virginia called the Virginia Human Rights Act that applies to five to 14 employees. Okay. And to, to, you know, employees with five to 14. But the problem with that act is it doesn't have nearly the same level of remedies uh. as the federal act does. Yep. So then um, also disabilities would fall under the Americans with Disabilities Act. But again, the employer has to have at least 15 employees for that to apply. Um, and there's a parallel act again in Virginia called the Virginians with Disabilities Act, which, which applies if they have less than 15 employees. But again, you don't have the same level of remedies as you would under the federal okay. act. But a lot of folks um, don't realize that if you work for a smaller employer, you don't have the same level of protection in terms of uh, discrimination um, or harassment or anything. So it it almost sounds like, and maybe maybe I'm I'm wrong on this, that if I feel that I've been wrongly terminated, I have to be able to prove it under a federal federal law almost, or right, or you're limited to this the limited remedies gotcha. in under Virginia law. Yeah, so what happens a lot of times, as you know, people will come into our office and they will basically um, feel like the employer didn't give them a good reason. And I have to explain, well, the employer doesn't actually have to have any reason. And you might disagree with that particular reason, but unless we can find something illegal about the termination, you know, that there was discrimination involved or retaliation involved um, or that there was whistleblowing involved— Basically, you're out of luck. So unless we can, we can prove that the reason for the termination falls under those categories. Right, right. Unless it's illegal, it, it's it's not a wrongful termination. So it's not illegal if they say, I don't really like you anymore. Right, right. Yeah, I just don't care for you. We don't get along. I, like a lot of employers will, will say, you're not a right fit. Yeah. And um, I'll have to explain that's an okay reason. They actually didn't have to give you a reason. Or you showed up and your hair was blue and it, you know, and it's, and it's not, doesn't fall under a religious accommodation because, you know, there's no religion right. that basically says that you, you have to have blue hair as part of the religion. So if it doesn't fall in a particular <laughs> category and the employer's like, look at, and you show up at the, at the office one day, Katie, and you've decided that you're, you're going to dye your hair all rainbow colors. And I say, <laughs> Katie, that, that doesn't fit in with the, with the law firm environment. Right. You know, fix it or else, you know, don't show up tomorrow. Then that would, I wouldn't even have to give you a reason, but. You know, that, what, that would not be an illegal reason. What about, you know, me as an employee, I mean, couldn't I at least get a warning or does that have to be written into the policy? That's a great question. That's another completely misunderstood um, aspect of employment law. A lot of folks think that they are entitled to a warning or they're entitled to some progressive discipline. And a lot of times that'll be in the employee handbook, some sort of progressive discipline. But just because it's in the handbook doesn't mean it's binding on the lawyer. I mean, excuse me, on the um, employer. So a lot of folks think that they're entitled to that warning. And I'll say, no, you know, if the employer is not consistent in following its progressive discipline. They might run into some discrimination issues, like they didn't give the warning to the white person, but they gave the warning to the person of color employee. Then they could run into some discrimination issues. But the bottom line is that there's nothing under the law that says they have to follow progressive discipline or give anybody a warning. Now, I always tell my employer clients it's the fair and right thing to do, you know, to try to give an employee a warning. And especially if you think it's a good employee and they're going to, you know, basically stop being tardy or whatever the issue is um, by giving them a warning, then that's just the fair and equitable thing to do. But they don't have to. They don't have to. Exactly. Right. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about um, hostile environment? Yeah. What what is a hostile environment? I mean, is that just my coworker doesn't like me and gives me the stink eye all day? That not, <laughs> that that is that is that can be a hostile environment, exactly. Um, but that would be hostile in the sense that it's not a very friendly environment. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an illegally hostile okay. environment. So as you know, we get lots of clients that come in and say that they're working in a hostile work environment. And we have to explain to them that 
just because it is a bad or crappy place to work um, or just because the employer screams at them. If the employer screams at everybody equally, (laughs) (laughs) it's just a bad place to work. Yeah. But it's not an illegally hostile environment. So what would make so what would make the environment an illegally hostile environment? That's a great question. Um, So it has to be based on one of those protected classes that we talked about. So it has to be based on something like sex or age or religion or national origin or race. So it needs to be based on one of those protected areas or disability. So um, if the hostility is not directed at somebody because of a protected class. And protected class is really something you can't control. I mean, other than, you know, religion, you can choose your religion, but a lot of people are born into their religions too. So um, when we think of that, we kind of think of things that you can't really control. You can't change the color of your skin. You can't change, well, some people can change your sex. We do have have some people that, that decide to transgender to the other sex, but um, basically, these are kind of fundamental physical aspects of the person. You can't change your national origin. That's where you came from, basically. Right. So you can't change your age. Can't, yeah. You know, um, disability is, is, again, something that you really don't have a whole lot of control over. So if the hostility is directed um, because of one of those protected class areas, then that can be a form of um, illegal hostile environment. But there are so many people that will come in and I'll basically say, look, you just work in a really, yeah. you know, a, a not very good work environment and you just need to find another job. So for someone who's, who is not in the legal field and think, thinking of a hostile environment, when I think of, if I was not in the legal field and I think of hostile, I think of just, you know, someone being mean to me or making me feel uncomfortable or or something, but it's, that's not actually... That's not illegal. That's not illegal. Right. It's a bad place to work, but yeah. there's nothing that you can do about it under the law. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, unless it's directed at you because of one of those protected factors. Okay. Yep. So when we're talking about discrimination, it kind of breaks down into you can have discrimination um, that's based on um, harassment or hostile work environment, but you can also have discrimination in the provision of benefits So, for example, um, I had a case where uh, a a lot of women in the factory who had the same level of of expertise as the men um, were not being paid the same rate. So that would be a case of discrimination in the form of benefits because the women weren't being paid the same as as the men. Mm -hmm. So um, and then, you know, we had a case against a trucking company a long time ago where the super female supervisor um, wasn't being promoted, yet she was having all of these male employees that that she would train, come in, they were new employees, she would train them, and then they would be promoted up and around her. And I think we had about six male employees that were promoted up and around her. And that case, uh, we went to trial on, and we settled the second night of trial, um, mainly because we had all the union employees testifying as to what a fabulous boss she was, um, and that they were all astonished that she had never been promoted um, at this trucking company. And we actually had one of the employees that had overheard the head of the trucking company say that um, he he wasn't going to promote any women. Um, so that was a pretty clear mm. case of discrimination in the terms of benefits because she wasn't promoted solely because she was female. And, and, right. You know, and she had all the qualifications. And the, the guys that worked for her, they just, they thought she was fabulous. They thought she was a great boss. So once the... Um, once the other side heard the testimony of the union employees singing her praises at trial, that's finally when we got a, a settlement offer um, in that case. So you also have what's called um, quid pro quo discrimination, and that falls um, especially um, under sex discrimination. So if somebody is being um, said tit for tat, like of if, uh, if you um, have sex with me, I'll give you a raise. That's called quid pro quo um, discrimination. Okay. So uh, we had um, a case with a big steel company, and there was both uh, sexual harassment, quid pro quo um, discrimination, and really a hostile environment going on. And in that case, it was really, really sad, but the female workers were actually um, 
giving sexual favors in the parking lot and in the closets of the business in order to get just a five cent raise. That's awful. It was awful. And um, actually, the person that came to me with that case was the human resources director who was a female. And she had all the statistics on what all the women were making versus the men. And then we had this additional, um, so there was discrimination in the provision of, of pay, but then we also had this quid pro quo stuff going on where, you know, it's like if you gave a sexual favor, you could get, an, you know, your five cent raise. Right. Um, and then there was an overhaul environment that was um, more belittling to women. So that case involved a very a, a variety of aspects of um, sex discrimination and sexual harassment. Um, I also had, uh, I think it was before you came on board with me, I had a case with a fire station. And the two women that worked for the fire station um, were really subject to a lot of sexual harassment. Um, in particular, the guys would come in and refer to their breasts as um, their those puppies, like, how them puppies doing today? Oh. Let me see you wag those puppies. Oh, gross. Yeah, um, yeah it was pretty. Um, and then they also would pass around jokes, you know, 10 reasons why beer is better than women. And um, so I had this amazing collection of, um, of pretty graphic jokes and cartoons and whatnot. They would have um, penthouses, et cetera, in the in the bathrooms and bring them out and show them to the women. Um, but the what the coup de gras, the icing on the cake, was that one of the guys actually put his private parts on the Xerox machine. Wow. Yeah. And then basically took the Xerox and passed it to the two women. So you can imagine when they both came to me in my office and they, like, put this stack of stuff. Well, first of all, I was kind of embarrassed because I had this— Basically, just collection of pornography <laughs> in the office. <laughs> but um, that so that is a a, a hostile environment okay. um, based on sex. So I mean, that is where you're really targeted, unfortunately, because of being female. So, so the the once that case came to um, to be public knowledge because the the TV. Um, TV station kind of took the story. Oh. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine at that point that the, the fire chief, et cetera, they, they definitely cleaned up what was going right. on there. So, so all, the, those examples of sexual harassment, they all sound very blatant. Yes. Um, what if, can there be sexual harassment that's, that's not as blatant or if I feel like I'm being sexually harassed, but no one's, you know, giving me inappropriate pictures or some, you know, uh, it's not really, it's not really like really white right out there. Yes. So you can have some sexual harassment. um, Oh, I said it wrong. You did. Yeah. Llewellyn Connolly would fuss at you for that. Um, You can have some sexual harassment that is a little bit more subtle, um, especially the quid pro quo harassment could be if somebody's, you know, just in a, very subtle way trying to ask for a date, etc. It's someone complimenting me, let's say. Yeah. So basically, in order to have sexual harassment, it has to be severe and pervasive. So like the examples. It's pretty much like the examples. And so when when folks come in and they say, I I feel like because my boss says I look nice this morning, um, and I'm like, well, how often do they say you look nice? Oh, maybe once a week. Is it anything more than that? No, they just say that I look nice this morning or they oh. notice that my hair has, you know, been colored. We'll be right back after the break with Raising the Bar, the Law Talk Radio Show. Thank you. To raising the bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804 454 1366. 804 454 1366. We are back. This is attorney Colin Quinn of Locke and Quinn, and we are back to Raising the Bar, the Law Talk radio show. Today we are talking about common misconceptions in employment law. 
And if you have a job, you're affected by employment <laughs> law. So if you have any questions, uh, please call in. You get free legal advice. Uh, call into the number 804-454-1366. I'm here with my paralegal, Katie Obermiller, uh, talking about various aspects of employment law. And one of the really misunderstood aspects of employment law is hostile environment. That's what we were talking about just before the break. So basically, um, a lot of folks misconstrue a hostile environment. They think if they work in a bad work environment that they are protected under the law. And really, they're not. Um, that's just a crappy place to work, as we were talking about. Um, in order to have a, an illegal hostile work environment, it has to be based um, on some protected class. So the hostility has to be directed at the person because of their race or their disability or their age or their national origin or their sex or one of the other protected factors. And then before the break, we were also talking about the fact that the hostility has to be severe and pervasive. It has to be on an ongoing basis. So if um, if somebody, if a boss came in and just simply complimented um, a woman that she looked nice that day and that they noticed that her hair color had changed, et cetera, that would not necessarily be a hostile work environment um, or somebody, you know, basically directing it, directing any hostility. In fact, that's actually, you know, it's kind of nice to, to say, oh, you look nice today. Right. You know, um, well, so, if, they, if they say it in a way that makes the employee feel uncomfortable, what would, the, but, but it doesn't rise to a level of, you know, right, right. So harassment, <laughs> right. Harassment. You got it right. Um, so the duty is on the employee then, if they're uncomfortable, to say, hey, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Okay. So it needs to be unwanted. And sometimes the employer doesn't know that something's unwanted. Right. You know, So if, if the complimenting every day is kind of creeping the employee out, then they need to say, hey, you know, I, I, it's nice that you've been complimenting me, but it, it really um, makes me feel uncomfortable when you do that. So if you don't mind, you know, if you could stop complimenting me, uh, it would make me feel like our relationship was a little bit more professional. Um, so, but really it, it, the duty is upon the employee to let the employer know that something is making them uncomfortable. Well, then what, what if the employer then decided to, to terminate me because I said that? Well, if, <laughs> it would look like maybe they terminated you because you complained of unwanted behavior um, but if the employer had a good reason, that would be really tricky because um, the employer's complimenting doesn't really rise to the level okay. of severe and pervasive sexual harassment. So the employer could say, you're not a good fit. It would That would be a, a, a touchy okay. case. That would be a questionable one. That's a, that's a great question. So um, we talked a little bit about sexual harassment and hostile environment. Um, let's use a couple more examples sure. of, from real life cases that we've had. What about race, racial so, discrimination? Yeah. So you probably remember the tire store yes. case that we yes. had together. So in that case, the poor gentleman, um, uh, actually recorded the employer calling him the N word, um, which is pretty amazing to have that mm -hmm. sort of, um, of evidence. But in addition, you may remember that they would have like a Friday gathering and that yeah. the other employees would tell him to bring the Kool-Aid and the watermelon um, and that this was pretty ongoing, um, these types of statements. And he wasn't able to get, they wouldn't give him overtime. And he, that was the other thing he got his boss recorded. Saying that he wasn't going to give him overtime. Because of his because, because of his, of his race. race. Right, yeah. So that was a pretty clear-cut yeah. case of um, race discrimination and a racially hostile work environment. Um, and while we can't tell people to tape record, he actually, that guy was pretty smart by just right. turning on his iPhone and actually catching that on, on tape because that made all the difference in terms of being able to prove what was going on. There was also another... Um, a uh, black gentleman that worked there too that also was able to vouch for the, the discrimination in the hostile right. work environment. But um, that was a pretty clear-cut example of race discrimination. Um, what about other areas that you're, are you interested in in terms of uh, hostile work environment? Sure. Um, disabilities. So we oftentimes will get um, examples of a hostile work environment based on a disability. One that you're familiar with that we just had recently was uh, the employee claiming that they were being discriminated against um, 
uh, because of a hostile work environment based on the employee's um, attention deficit disorder. Okay. So if the person um, is being called flaky and disorganized and things that are associated with that disability on a rather frequent basis, um, then that can rise to the level of a hostile work environment um, in that regard. And uh, so that would be a pretty clear-cut example of... Um, you know, a, a hostile work environment of something that they can't control. So it's a disability that they can't control, and yet they're they're being called names because of that particular right, disability. Okay. Yeah. Or I th- we did have one case also, a gentleman, um, I believe he was legally blind. Yeah, that was actually a case of, um, of a disability diff- discrimination yeah. right, in hiring. Because right. if you'll remember, right. he... He uh, wanted to work as a social worker, and he had his master's in social work. He was totally qualified for the job, but he also was going to need to drive around to different clients. So he had actually proposed to the company that he had his own driver, which was his wife, um, which they could have readily, reasonably accommodated her as long as she, um, you know, had her driver's license, et cetera. And they refused to hire him. Are they, isn't that... They offered him the position and then... Then they reneged on it once one of yes. the higher-ups looked over yes. it, right? So um, that was a good case of showing that there was disability discrimination right. and eventually they corrected the situation right. when it had and hired him because they got us involved. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was a good outcome. Um, so I'll give you another example of um, hostility or a hostile work environment based on age. I had a, a case where um, a financial planner... Um, much older gentleman had um, been told on numerous, numerous occasions, when are you going to retire? When are you going to turn your um, your clients over to some of the younger guys? And he actually had in his um, his annual reviews, he had statements about um, it was about time for him to to basically retire and that he needed to turn over his accounts to the younger guys. And so we had very concrete evidence of this. And it was pretty much ongoing that he was getting this pressure to quit simply because he was older. It had nothing to do with his cognitive abilities or anything right. like that. But that that also rose to the level of a hostile work environment. Um, of course, it, it, it was pretty regular and ongoing and pervasive. But you can imagine that probably made that gentleman feel pretty bad over something he couldn't control, which right. was his, his age. Right. You know, so that's that's when it's um, uh, that's when the law is intended to kick in, especially when there's something that you really can't control that you're being singled out or you're being discriminated against for those different factors. So um, we talked but, a little. Go sorry ahead. to interrupt. No. But going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, if the company's able to show that the reason for someone, you know, that age, like if they were to let him go or the reason they wanted him to, to go, turn over the, to, go to work, turn over the accounts right, and retire, is right. because of it's better for the business. Right. So if so, first of all, the employer needs to stay away from saying anything about age. Like, okay. Right. That's where the employer went wrong in that case. Um, totally wrong. If instead the employer had said, uh, had pointed out in their annual reviews that they weren't making their numbers, they weren't hitting their quotas, that they were making mistakes. So they wouldn't necessarily have said, you know, your cognitive abilities. But in the reviews, it, there would have been things that would have indicated that the employee was no longer up for the job at the same level that they had been in, then that would have been a justifiable reason to to basically say, to maybe give them a warning and say that that their services were no longer going to be needed. But bringing in the age issue, saying it's about time you should retire and shouldn't you turn over your accounts to the younger guys, that was just so blatantly um, in violation of the um, America, excuse me, the Age Discrimination and Employment see. Act. Yeah. And that employer had more than the 20 employees necessary for that act to right, apply. Right, right, right. Okay. So, and then when you were going, when we were talking about the gentleman that was legally blind, so somebody that has a um, disability under the um, Americans with Disabilities Act, that's the ADA, Age Discrimination Employment Act, ADEA. Okay. So you got to keep your acronyms all straight here. Um, but under the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the employer um, does have to reasonably accommodate the employee. 
So um, if the employee has a special need, like perhaps they are legally blind, but they can do their work with a particular type of computer, um, as long as that computer isn't just outrageously expensive for the employer to to uh, basically get for them, then that would be a reasonable okay. accommodation. So the employee typically has to tell the employer, this is the reasonable accommodation I need. And then the accommodation has to be within reason, so not outrageously expensive for the employer to do. Now, can the employer also come back and say, well, we can't do this, but we can provide you with X, Y, Z? Right, right. So, okay. so let's say the person has um, uh, multiple sclerosis or um, muscular dystrophy or something, and they would rather work from home because of mobility issues or, you know, just different things that they have treatments they have right. to do through the day. And the employer says, um, no, um, we don't want you to work from home, but we're going to do all these things at the office that are going to make it like a home-like environment so that uh, we'll accommodate you with special equipment, et cetera. Then that could be an alternative reasonable accommodation. Okay. So the employer doesn't have to give the employee the exact accommodation the employee is asking for. For example, like work from home, but the employer can come back and say, we, we're not going to give you that accommodation, but we're going to give you something comparable that's still a reasonable accommodation. Okay. And at that point, the employee would have to accept it if it was reasonable. And the problem is, is that what's reasonable sometimes can vary. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about the um, ADA is that it also protects people with a perceived disability. And, and that what is a, so what is a perceived disability? Disability. It's, it's if you think the person has a disability, but they don't. And that's that gets really into this massively gray area. Huh. Yeah. So if somebody maybe talks with a lisp or something and because of the way they present themselves appears to be maybe lower IQ, but they're not actually lower IQ. Uh. So it gets into this extremely gray area in terms of what becomes a, a perceived disability as so opposed to an actual. do you have to have a an actual diagnosis from a doctor in order to be considered? In order to get a reasonable accommodation, yes. Okay. Okay. But for the employer to discriminate against somebody on the basis of disability, that's where the perceived disability I see. can I see what you're saying. In. Yeah. Okay. So, and that, that becomes an extremely tricky area of the law. So, uh, we talked a little bit about religious accommodation. Yes. And, um... Uh, Asher Purvis, who's with us today on uh, the station manager, he raised the question of, is taking a knee protected? So what about Ooh. what about Neilgate? Yeah. And so that gets into an extremely tricky area because remember we talked about if you came into the office and you had your hair now. Rainbow hair. Rainbow hair, right, right. All multicolored. And I said, Katie, that just does not fit in with the law firm environment. Go home and wash that out. <laughs> um, so, um, so, you know, are these folks, especially Neil Gate with the football players and everything, are they protected in their positions by taking the knee? Well, again, just like disability um, accommodation, um, under Title VII, there is something that's called religious accommodation. So um, the employer basically, as long as they, it doesn't affect their employment or it doesn't affect their business, they need to accommodate um, any particular religious preferences. So for example, if somebody doesn't work on, want to work on Saturdays because that happens to be their day of religious observation, sure. then the employer says, okay, fine, then let's flex your schedule. So you work on Sunday instead, or let's just flex your schedule. Um, but or what if I need to, you know, I wear a, a, a I think it's a hajib or headscarf. Right, right. So let's say that that's part of your religion. Well, as long as there's no reason why wearing hajib is going to hurt my business or anything, and I would have to show that it clearly was going to hurt the business, and I, I that's pretty hard to yeah. show. The cases that are out there on the hajibs, it's like I haven't seen a case yet where the employer has a justifiable reason, business reason for saying you can't wear that. Um, now, the, the, the mask apparently can become an issue in terms of security issues, but I don't know. That's just such a, a complex area right. as well, um, if they're wearing the veil over the face as well. Um, but let's go back to the Neilgate question sure. because um, the employer would have to have a really strong reason, you know, team unity plus the ratings were dropping um, immensely you know, because of the, of the kneeling, et cetera. 
And that is a pretty gray area right now, but one that's definitely of interest and controversy. Mm -hmm. But I think that the employer might have grounds to say, no, I don't want everybody kneeling um, if the the business is losing money dramatically because of it. Um, and that then goes beyond a religious accommodation. Now there's a justifiable business reason to say, no, I don't want everyone kneeling. I instead want you, you can all loop hands. Um, you don't necessarily have to salute the flag, but, you know, we, we, uh, we need to do this in order to, to save the business. Right. You know, so... Um, basically the, the hajib, that's, that's one that's a pretty easy accommodation. Um, there, there are other areas though, where the religious accommodation might be, um, a little bit more than the employer, um, is willing or able to do. Um, but most, most, most religious accommodations are not that difficult for employers to do. Yeah. Um, so I think you were going to ask me the car accident question. Oh, yes. So if I'm injured in a car accident and I have to take time off of work, how long will my job be protected? Well, again, it depends on whether you work for a big employer or whether you oh. work for a smaller employer. So you're probably, you can easily see today that working for a smaller employer doesn't give you nearly the same no. levels of protection. Yeah. So um, the the Family Medical Leave Act, again, that's something that a lot of folks don't understand. But in order for the Family Medical Leave Act to apply, in order for you to get 12 weeks of guaranteed leave since you were in that car accident okay. and for, for your job to be held open, first of all, the employer has to have at least 50 or more employees. 50? 50. 50, wow. Yeah. And you have to have worked for that employer for at least a year with a certain minimum number of hours per week that you've okay. worked in order to be protected under the Family Medical Leave wow. Act. So again, a lot of folks don't realize that sometimes that act often doesn't apply to a lot of employers. I mean, you have to have 50 or more employees in order for that provision to apply. And if you're part-time, then it won't apply either, right? And there's a reason for that because small companies can't necessarily afford to have an employee out for 12 weeks, up to 12 weeks, right. and then hold their job open for them. I mean, if, if you've got a five-man or woman shop, you might be able to hold that job position. Um, you're going to need to have somebody come in and do that work um, because you've got such a small shop that you've got and you've got to get the work done, yeah. you know. But then you may not have the funds or the budget to hire the new person and then bring the old person back to the job um, because you're just a small shop. Right. You know, um, but for the employers that do have the, the Family Medical Leave Act, the FMLA, apply to them, they don't have to bring the employee back to the exact same job either. It just, it can be a comparable job. So the employee gets to take up to the 12 weeks. Um, and then the employer has to either give them the same job, but they can also give them a comparable okay. job. So if they need that position filled while the employee's out, they can still give them a different job that's comparable. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, and then the other thing that a lot of folks misunderstand about the Family Medical Leave Act is they think that that means 12 weeks of paid leave. Well, taint so. so oh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the job has to be held open for the 12 weeks, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get You're paid. You're not getting paid. Right, right. So the employee has to use up all of their personal and vacation and okay. av- available leave. And um, then they just go on unpaid leave. A- so if I that. only have four weeks. Then you're going to be out of luck if you need to be out to heal from that car accident right. for another eight weeks. Wow. You're going to go unpaid. So, which is, means you're going to probably want to get healed a lot faster so you get back and get a paycheck. So what's the difference then with the short, short-term short disability? Oh, that's a great question. So if the employer provides short-term disability and different short-term dis- disability policies kick in at different times, like some you'll have to have a two-week wait, others will have a four-week wait, but some will kick in right away as soon as you go out on short-term disability, which could be for maternity leave or it could be because you were in that car accident. Okay. Um, but although the short-term disability might last three months or six months, 
um, that doesn't necessarily mean that your job's going to be held oh. open during that time period. So some folks will be like, well, I'm out on short-term disability for six months. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean you still have a job to go back to, to go back to after the six months. Because if the FMLA doesn't apply, well, then you don't even get the 12 weeks to be out and have oh. a job guaranteed. And then if the FMLA, the FMLA does apply, yes, you get the 12 weeks and you can come back to your job guaranteed. But um, after the 12 weeks, that's that's the longest the employer has to hold okay. the job. And so if you're still out on short-term disability, at that point, you don't have any guarantee of a job to come back to if the FMLA applies. So you can, so could I do it? No. Can, you can do FMLA and short-term disability? You can do them at the same, same time. time. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Although you just have to understand after the 12 after weeks. After the 12 weeks. Your job's not going to be held open after that. Right. Yeah, so... That's um, why a lot of folks uh, will want to come back. And even if they could stay on short-term disability, you're going to want to come back to work so that they know they have that job available. The other thing that um, some folks don't understand under the um, Family Medical Leave Act is there's something called intermittent leave. So let's say a person has cancer and they have to take off every Wednesday so they are, they can be protected under the FMLA for longer than the 12 weeks. Like the 12 weeks doesn't have to be consecutive week after week. Instead, it could be like every Monday and Wednesday or every Tuesday and Thursday, they have to take off for chemo treatment. Um, so they can, take, they can take intermittent family medical leave and take the leave just every Tuesday, Thursday, and then only the Tuesday and Thursday count toward the total 12 weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is a really interesting feature hmm. of the, the, the Family Medical right. Leave Act. We are getting ready to close the show for today, and we are talking about misconceptions in employment law. This is the Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show, and with me today is my paralegal, Katie Obermiller. This is Colleen Quinn of Lock and Quinn. If you do have any questions before we close out the show, everybody uh, that has a job is impacted by (laughs) employment law. So if you have any questions, call us at 804-454-1366. We just have a few minutes left where we can uh, field uh, any of those questions that you might have. So uh, we are winding down the show. We have a caller? Or if it should, you know, or if my, you know, decade of experience is comparable or, you know, able to kind of replace the requirement of having that undergraduate degree. Right. So the employer can basically lay out certain minimum requirements of the job um, and, if an undergraduate degree is something that the employer um, does want to have as part of the minimum requirement, um, they are allowed to do that. The question then becomes, um, is there some sort of underlying discrimination potentially going on um, by requiring the undergraduate degree as opposed to accepting um, some sort of an equivalent? Most employers will accept an equivalent um, if the employee has... Otherwise, you know, all the qualifications that they need. So that is a really tricky area because the employer is entitled to say these are the particular minimum requirements of the job. And if you don't meet the requirements, that's kind of our threshold. We're not going to look at other factors. Um, If it's a, yeah, so there's not really any protection under the law for that unless you could say, the reason you couldn't get the undergraduate degree was because of a particular learning disability or something like that, in which case it would have to fall into one of those protected class areas where you have to show that, um, there, you know, that, that what you have is, is a reasonable compromise and, or a reasonable equivalent of the undergraduate degree. But the reason you hadn't gotten the undergraduate degree was because of a particular protected class reason, like, for example, a disability with some sort of underlying learning component. So that's a really tough area. Um, I think the best thing there is being able to show the employer that you are so otherwise totally qualified for the job that the undergraduate degree really doesn't matter. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean. Look at, you know, I mean, look at Bill Gates. Look at the guy that owns Papa John's. I mean, none exactly. of them have undergraduate degrees. <laughs> so those, be- those are all my, you know, those are all my go-tos. But and, and certain employers, won't they won't even consider me for an interview because I don't have that undergrad degree where it's, it's clear that my experience is 
comparable to or, you know, I, I have more experience than is required. So it, it, it has been kind of a tricky um, situation. A lot of employers, um, you know, look past it, but some very specifically will not. So I was wondering, you know, what the legal um, forum there is. Yeah, unfortunately, the um, that in and of itself is not discriminatory to have that minimum requirement. It's it's not necessarily smart because they're probably missing out on some other candidates like yourself that, um, right. you know, would be a really great employee for them. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to take my call. No problems. Thank you so much for great. listening. Yeah, great show this morning. Thank I'll, you. I'll Thank you. Perfect. Keep listening. Thank awesome. you. Absolutely. Take care. We have a caller? I have a question. Oh, great. <laughs> um, um, I know somebody who has uh, been in a situation, they're not in this state, but they work um, for a dentist office and they're an older person. Uh, it's uh, probably under five employees. Uh, and they have been, uh, they're dental hygienists, and so they've actually been switched to commission. They're the only people in the office who have been switched to commission, and it's pretty pretty implied obvious that it is um, age-related. So it's that they're trying to kind of push this person out of the office. Uh, they even go so far as if the salaried hygienist has doesn't have somebody and somebody comes in for this person who's been put on commission that they'll give that patient to the salary person because they are, or the hourly person because they're already paying them to be there. Wow. So really obvious age has never been mentioned, but it's just, it's pretty, pretty obvious what, what's going on. Yeah. So unless the employer has some justifiable business reason for treating the older employee like that, then, um, that's going to be age discrimination and it's going to be hard for that employer to fight that. The only thing I wonder is if it's a dentist's office, they might not be covered by the Age Discrimination and Employment Act because, because they might, there's they not to, enough employees. Exactly, Katie. Yeah, you have to have at least the 20 or more employees. And so if they don't have the 20 or more employees and a lot of dentist offices don't, then it clearly could be age discrimination, but they may not fall under the federal protection of the act. Thank you for joining us today with Raising the Bar, the Law Talk Radio Show. Join us next week where we're going to talk about brain injuries with the head of the Brain Injury Association, Ann McDowell, 9 o'clock next Wednesday morning. Come join us. Oh, well. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366.